thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauli and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com, as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Everyone has a dream or dreams, but many times those don't come to fruition and you have to figure out what is next. Sometimes it's a complete change, but other times you find a way to make it happen, although it might not be the original dream. Our next guest dreamt it, lived it, and is now at a very successful career. I'm excited to have Bill Gorin, Deputy Commissioner of Major League Rugby. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Bill, very excited to to have you and dive into your illustrious career. And I kicked it off by talking about a dream. You grew up in Southern Texas. You left at the age of 13 to head to Washington State. However, growing up, you always wanted to play for the Houston Astros. So what intrigued you so much about that goal growing up? Yeah, I was uh, so grew up in a, a little town called Texas City, Texas, which is not anything like New York City, New York, uh, <laughs> a lot smaller, very blue collar. Um, my dad was a baseball player. Um, that was what we kind of bonded on, bonded over as I was when I was very young. And uh, the Houston Astros were, were my team. And so I, I came home, lived and breathed it, watched every single game, uh, at that time, you had to use a newspaper to see what happened the night before, what the box scores looked like. Yep. Um, that's what I wanted to be was was a Houston Astro. Um, I never wanted to be um, a superstar. I just wanted to be on the team. Um, there was a um, kind of going back a little bit. There was a player that had a very similar name as my name, Bill Doran, and my yep. name is Bill Gorin. So as you know, imagine if you're a ten year old, eleven year old kid, and there's a baseball player that's close enough. Pretty to close. You. Felt like I was an Astro already. Yeah, you um, think you see your name in the paper, you're hearing on uh, the broadcast. Yeah, I mean, I would probably wish that they maybe mispronounced his name a little bit yeah. so that my name kind of came out. But uh, I fell in love with being being a um, being an Astro and being a baseball player and uh, worked um, hard to do that. Now, it was not very good. I'm sure we'll get to that part. Never became a Houston Astro. Well, you know, and, and yeah, it's, it's a roundabout way, and we'll certainly dive into to that dream. But, you know, for your end, Bill, after realizing a career on the field wasn't necessarily going to happen, you ultimately end up attending the University of Washington. And as you were t- attending school, what did you think you wanted to do? I would had no idea. Um, I graduated high school. What you're supposed to do is go to college. I went to college. 
some of my friends were going to engineer marketing. Um, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. So I went to college a little longer than most people with, <laughs> without getting a doctorate. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I was, I was kind of just taking classes. That I enjoy changed majors three or four times. And, um, I met a girl in one of my classes who said she was going to be in the fashion industry. I was a basketball and she goes, I'm going to do an internship. And honestly, I was um, very, um, I was a good student, but I was very disengaged with how to move on and down a path. And uh, she told me she'd do an internship. And I was like, well, I don't know much about that. Found out a little bit and started calling baseball teams. I was like, look, I like baseball. Baseball works. And um, I called three or four teams um, and then realized um, that that was going to be an option. So I took it took an internship. Actually, I was offered an internship 20 minutes away from my house. Um, but the day before I was offered an internship an hour and a half away from my house, I made a commitment to that team. Yep. And then I got the call from Everett. And um, my parents thought I was insane to not turn down the original offer. But I really felt like at the time, maybe coming out of college, I was a genius. So uh, <laughs> I thought like, yeah, I needed to fulfill my commitment. So I was yep. driving an hour and a half every day to go to this town called Tacoma to uh, intern for minor league baseball team. Yep. And so as, as you think back to your time, you, you, you meet this girl that's in the fashion industry. What is your advice, you know, to listeners on just following your dream and doing what you're passionate about? I, well, I mean, I think that's exactly it. Like end of the day, I've got a lot of friends that did a lot of other jobs and um, Charles, you know, we don't get paid a lot, especially at the beginning of our yep. career. Um, and that hurts. Uh, when you see your friends that are taken off in other industries a lot faster. End of the day, I'm incredibly happy with the way uh, my career panned out. I make a little money. I'm able to, uh, to, to have a family and all the stuff that I kind of need in life. Yep. And, um, you know, the, the, the advice is be passionate about what you want to do. Um, be authentic about doing it and, and, you know, wholeheartedly go, go towards it. I think I've, I've used the, the, the story before is when, when I played baseball, we practiced five days a week, you know, two hours a day, you work out on your own and then you get two at bats. And I, I never got paid for those two at bats. Um, I was probably paying to get on the field, at <laughs> but I did all of that to maybe get two at bats or three at bats in the game. So then I go get a real job if it's an internship or a real job. And I don't, um, I look around and the people around me are not putting in work outside to get better at what they do when they get the opportunity to, in my case, sell something, right? right. To, do, to excel in their job. I got into my first full-time position and I took that approach as like, I'm going to treat this like baseball. I'm going to work hard outside of baseball or outside of work so that when I get to work, I'm ready to go. And um, my advice would be to do the work you need to do to, to be able to play on the field if that's in you know, behind your desk or whatever, but be ready to play. Don't go there and say that anyone owes you something and you only get paid eight hours. So I'm only going to work for eight hours. It's just not how our careers work. Yeah. That's not the, the business we're in. It's certainly not a nine to five. There's late nights and weekends and you know, Bill, your competitive nature really, you'll continue to strive as you're, you're interning there with the AAA Pacific coast team in Tacoma. And you know, that competitive nature ended up clicking for you and you started to have success your first stop in the big leagues was with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And so as you think back to that experience, how was that experience early on in your career? Um, it, it was, it was great. When I was in Tacoma, um, everyone in Tacoma said, Hey, you know, minor league sports, that's where you get the opportunities. Is that what you, 
you get to touch everything, you get to do all this stuff. Um, this guy from the Seattle Mariners came down to watch a game and he locked his keys in the car and he came over and was like, Hey, can you help me? He was just asking an employee. And I was like, I'll do my best. I went and got a coat hanger, broke into this dude's car for him. <laughs> and um, you do a little bit of everything. Oh, I'm not, not, I'm not, not proficient at breaking a car, um, <laughs> but uh, he gave me his card and he said, I work for Seattle Mariners. And if you ever want to come see um, what we do up there, I was like, man, I'm, I'm in. Tell me when and where. So I went to go up and see what a major league operation was. And from there, I said, that's where I want to be. I want to be with a major league operation. Um, I always knew I was going to work for the Houston Astros. Since yep. day one, I knew I was going to work that's for the, the Astros. That's the dream. Um, but um, that's how I got to the Dodgers, opposed to going down a different path, was um, I knew that I would do the, I'd put in the effort to do well at a major league level. And that's what I was going for. You end up staying with the Dodgers for five years and really continue to work your way up on a fast track in the industry. So thinking back now, you know, those first five years and even some of that internship experience, what did you wish you knew then that would have helped you even progress even further now? <laughs> uh, a lot. I wish I, I mean, I'm a very, very humble person. I don't, um, I don't take a lot of the accomplishments that we might've had in my career and say, I did those. Yep. Um, but like every young person, day one, I was like, I can run this place. And um, I learned down the line that I probably wasn't as bright as I thought I was on day one. And um, early, early on, um, someone gave me some advice. And uh, we were going through a sell with the franchise. The Dodgers were going through a sell. And um, I called this guy from another team. And I said, man, I'm really worried. They're going to they're gonna come in. They're going to clean house. And he goes, man, you're not that important. Said, what do you mean? <laughs> He goes, you sell tickets, right? I go, yes, I, I do. I sell tickets. And he goes, look, they're, they're going to come in and they're going to access all these different levels, but they need you just to sell tickets. So put your head down and sell tickets. Just do what and you need to do. What I needed, yeah, what, what I needed to hear at that time and at that level was do your job to the best of its ability and think opportunities will come. You don't have to start um, trying to pick off opportunities without taking care of your house. Basically. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, throughout your, your experience there, you end up going in and, and embarking on the leadership journey. Why was leadership the right fit and, and ultimately the passion you had? It was absolutely the passion I had. Um, I was a team player, like I said early on. I just wanted to be part of the Houston Astros. I just wanted to be part of my high school team. I wanted to be part of the college team. So I, um, I always took that selfless approach to win. We went together. So um, getting the opportunity to lead, I knew, I felt like I, I understood what that was going to be. Now, I, I did learn a lot of stuff along the way, but um, getting to sit in that chair was, I think, a pretty unnatural fit for me. And I was willing to take the responsibilities. I was willing to put the stuff on my shoulders. I was willing to um, answer for successes and failures. Yep. And that's, that's key. And you Bill, when I kicked off this episode, we talked about living the dream and that dream ultimately ended up coming to fruition for you as you got the opportunity to, to not necessarily play for the Houston Astros, but to go work for them. So how did that role come about as you're in L.A. for five years and then get the call to you know, from the bullpen to come home? Well, it, it, <laughs> I wish I could say they called me, but um, I probably bugged them to death. <laughs> um, I uh, threw a friend, threw a friend, threw a friend, asked the president of the Houston Astros, her name was Pam Gardner, if I could have an informational interview. And she said, yes. 
And I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Right. I told her I was going to, I go, hey, I'm going to be in Houston. My parents live there. I would love to come just meet you. And she said, yes. And I, I was like, wow. Okay. So it's, it's funny. Me and one of my really good friends named Jason Klein that worked at the Dodgers with me, we we're talking about like, how do I approach this? So I just go in real casual. Do I meet her? Yep. We just kept, what do I wear? I mean, we were, this was like, this was it, right? The I opportunity. And so me and Jason sat around and we were, we're talking. It was like, okay, go casual. So I was going to go in with slacks and a polo. And last minute I call, I go, I'm suiting up. I'm going for an interview. Yeah. And um, I walked into her office with a portfolio of stuff. Um, you know, suit on just, just to the, I was like, look, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, but I'm going to give it everything I got. Um, I went in there and, um, and she liked me enough to um, call me on my way home. She said, would you mind meeting the owner? And I said, sure. And I was actually in the car. So I started turning around to go back to Houston and uh, my parents lived in a, a town called Temple. I was going back to Temple. And she goes, actually, he lives in Temple. So I'm turning my car back around, <laughs> just driving back to Temple. And the next day I got to meet the owner of Houston Astros. And, uh, you know, they, they found a fit for me. And it was, it, I probably would not have gone there if it was anything, um, what I was doing at the Dodgers. It was a huge jump. And it's where I wanted to be. Yep. And um, it, was, it was a great opportunity. So I was very thrilled. You know, and, and often in this business, people are, are talking about, you know, when it's an opportunity, hey, do I want to stay closer to home? And, you know, you were able to, to move away and you still were able to come back. And I think, you know, being a part of that organization that you once dreamed of doing and you end up staying with the Astros for almost seven years. And you think back early on and it was a big step to your point. What were some key learnings from a leadership perspective that you took and now still apply to your every day? A lot. <laughs> I, I learned, I learned a lot there. Um, uh, one thing was always know your numbers. I was on the revenue side and I needed to know my numbers. If I started balking or making up numbers, it was pretty evident early and we could go down a, the wrong path. Yep. Um, if I wasn't, if I didn't understand the numbers, the other thing I really learned was um, I was stressing one day and uh, we weren't hitting our numbers. We're just not, you, you know, in ticket sales, you never hit your number. Cause if you get close to that number, the number just goes they, up. They just keep raising. Yep. Yeah. And so um, I'm overseeing all of tickets and I went into a mentor of mine. I was like, man, like I'm not, um, I'm not going to hit the numbers. I don't know what to do. He's like, well, just go tell Pam. It's like, you're not, you, your job's not to hit the numbers. It's to tell us where the numbers are going to be. Right. So we Realistic. can plan and structure, right? You're, I'm running a department that oversees a majority of our revenue driven at not, not the television revenue, but at the, at the team level. Yep. And they needed to know that information. So just, just understanding my numbers and being honest about projections was, was really important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And being transparent and being able to yeah. tell that story and, you know, Bill, with the Astros, you were tasked in really bringing in talent, building up the staff and culture, and, and you've had a lot of great people that have, have come through there under your watch. And so what are the, some of the key characteristics you're always looking for in A-level talent, really regardless of the role? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think especially in, in sports, um, I look for a selfless person, someone who's going to come in and going to drive to make the team better and in turn get their own opportunities. Um, if somebody comes in and they're, they're, they show kind of an opposite trait, 
not saying that they're not going to be able to be successful. Uh, a lot of people say they want salespeople that are only focused on themselves and only want that commission. Look, when you're when you're working for a sports team, you're 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 a genius when you're winning and you're not when you're when you're losing. So isn't that the um, truth? You know, so you got to just you get. I look for people that are kind of selfless, that are very goal oriented. Like we want to accomplish this. They um, they want to see the number on the board that we need to achieve. Um, and I also just, I, I look for people that, uh, it sounds silly, and I learned this later on in my career, that, that you like to be around. You're with these people a very, very- Spent a lot of time know, with them. Long, so much time, more time than, than I'm with my wife, than when I'm with my kids. And so you want to know that you're going to enjoy being around. Yep. So a absolutely. Well, you, you ultimately had a great journey, you know, there back at home and a great build in Houston with, again, a lot of great people. And this was even pre like some of the listeners now are like, Oh, the Astros have been good. This was certainly pre kind of those times. Yeah. And so as you think back to your time, what are you most proud of you know, and what you guys built there with the Astros organization? Um, the, the, one of my most proud moments working for the Houston Astros it's going to sound a little silly because it's not really just, you know, like my accomplishment, but we, we sold three, three million tickets one year. And that's kind of a magic number in baseball. If you sell three million tickets, yeah. you know, that's, that's a celebration. And um, we, we did that that year. And my boss had a banner printed up and we dropped it over the Crawford boxes and said, thank you fans, three million, you know, tickets sold. And we had little t-shirts that said it. And uh, they're awesome. There's nothing I could have been more prouder than that we were able to just be part of something, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, you, you think about, you know, that's that's over. What is that? 30. I'm not a math major, but over thirty seven thousand tickets, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, sold on a on a consistent basis, which is a massive number. And, and certainly baseball, you know, a lot of people are hey, it's 81 games. How do you focus on all of them that you guys obviously yeah. had a ton of success? Yeah. Yeah, that was it, it was it was a great accomplishment just to. Um, be part of it. And, you know, like I said, it's a little silly because I would say most of the people I worked with that weren't on the ticket side, probably don't, don't really recall that. I wouldn't say it's one of their top things, but just, just for me to say like, Hey, the department, we got a sign. That was all. That was cool. And Absolutely. Yeah, There's a lot of work to put into it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Bill Gorin, Deputy Commissioner of Major League Rugby. 
And Bill, after spending seven years with your dream organization and kind of back home, you decide to get into a different sport in the NBA as you head to the Detroit Pistons. And so as you think back, why has it been beneficial in your career to experience multiple different organizations and multiple different sports and leagues? Yeah, like baseball does a lot of great things when it comes to the revenue generating side, but they don't do everything. And the NBA had a different experience. And um, the the other jobs that we may talk about had a different experience. I think having having a wide range of skill sets, and including not not just the the industry or their sport, but also the jobs that I was doing, definitely set me up to be able to um, be a happier individual in my job for sure, and to help guide others as I've gotten a little older. You know, and and. After you, your stint with the Pistons, you end up staying kind of in the basketball realm. You go on to the Austin Toros of the NBA D-League, which is now the G-League, and then on to working at Tickets.com as the Vice President of Business Development for their platform. And so after spending majority of your career in professional sports on the team side, how was your experience getting into the minor leagues and on the vendor side? Yeah, well, I had to explain to people what my teams were after that. You know, when you're <laughs> the Dodgers, you just say, hey, this is a bill with the Dodgers. Yeah. And they pretty much, you know, answer. Oh, that makes I, sense. my, my, my uh, little sales quirk or technique when I was with the Dodgers, would I call someone and say, hi, this is built the Los Angeles Dodgers. Have you ever heard of us? You know, <laughs> like, oh, ha, ha. Right, and right. it breaks the ice, right? Break, the icebreaker for sure. That, um, that was actually a real, real thing I had to do with the, um, with the basketball team. And so yeah. no, uh, Toro. So yeah, no, I think um, at that, I had, a, I had a really strong foundation when I went into these kind of uh, minor league type sports, I understood there's a bigger picture to things and there's multiple ways of accomplishing something. Uh, when I went there, that was, that was a massive asset opposed to uh, let's just do things the way we've always done them. That's a lot of times what I was running into. Um, the downside was, you know, you don't have a 10,000, 20,000 season ticket base. You, you are scratching and crawling for crawling clawing at uh, everything you're trying to do, you know, you have 20,000 season tickets or 25,000 season tickets in Houston Astros, and you're working to get an extra thousand, yeah. um, you know, in a, at the Austin tour, I was like, if, if I accomplished getting an extra hundred, that was a massive success. That was a big success. Yeah, absolutely. And you obviously, you know, throughout this entire podcast, we've talked a lot about, you know, running organizations, leadership, building with the right people and the right process. And you, you obviously have a passion for that. And then your next two stops were as the CTO of the Frisco Rough Riders in minor league baseball for two and a half years. And then the president of the Dallas Rattlers in major league lacrosse for two and a half years. And so as you think back to your experiences with them, you know, and you obviously had the Austin experience, what were some key learnings from those experience, uh, you know, with those teams? So, so going into lacrosse was a non-traditional sport for me and, and for, for most of uh, Texans and Americans, right? Uh, it's really strong on the, the East Coast. But uh, a key learning experience was we've always, ta always talked about in all the sports I've worked at, but the, the entertainment side of sports, putting on a great show, that you know, driveway to driveway experience. And we, we all talk about it, but um, most of the sports I've been in are 100 years old. It's they kind of figured all this stuff out and we're just making slight tweaks yep. to it. Um, taking a team, a lacrosse team, bringing it to Dallas where there's no professional lacrosse, bringing it to playing in the star 
and just recreating an event that nobody, or sorry, creating an event that no one's ever experienced from scratch. So it's not like I took the mascot and put a hat on it and said, hey, right. you know, I had to create a mascot, I had to find garbage cans at times. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was going on, but understanding um, what that full experience is and, and educating someone during that experience, there was no foundation at that point. And that was, it was great to have a clean slate for all intents and purposes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, another thing I learned, especially from that experience is, I've always been a strong relationship person and customer service, but um, that was that was even deeper. I knew all of the season ticket holders. I when I would walk around, I would stop and talk to all of them. I never sat down for a minute during a game. Um, Constantly moving. You become at these smaller teams. You become a massive ambassador for those teams, and people um, buy from you as much as they buy the product that it is. Yeah, yeah. It's more it, potentially more of a relationship sale than any sale. You know, with that process and immersing yourself in the community. And you know, Bill, several guests of 52 Weeks of Hustle have either worked in minor league sports, um, where one day you're selling sponsorships, then you're pulling tarp, you're working a community event, being the mascot and everything in between. So how did go through how did going through that experience help solidify your continuous work ethic and passion for this industry? It, that it was easy. I mean, look, I, I'm a, a hard worker and I love doing what I do. I probably wouldn't be doing it otherwise. So um, when I was in Tacoma, I got to get in the sumo wrestling suit and do <laughs> sumo wrestling during a game. Awesome. Um, I, Is there a video I, of that still? I don't think it's really <laughs> old. Um, no, but, you know, I didn't really, when I was at the Houston Astros, we didn't ever get, you don't get asked to pull the tarp at major league teams. But when we would go and set out um, additional chairs and do standing room only stuff, was the first one out there trying to do that. I have a passion to accomplish what, what's put in front of me. And so I don't really think through, um, is this my job? Is it not my job? Should I be doing this? I'm like, let's go. If I can help you do your job down the line, maybe you'll help me do mine. Yeah, absolutely. And Bill, you know, from a sales perspective in all of your stops, you know, specifically in the, in the minor league world, we talk a lot about packaging deals. And if you have to think, think big. So in the minors, that's certainly crucial to build a package. So what's your advice to listeners on packaging things and ultimately thinking big at all times? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's um, cause I'm not doing a lot of listening right now. I'm doing a lot of talking, but I'm a good listener, right? I ask the right questions. I find the right opportunities and I start filling those holes and it's not listening to find the first holes, the next four or five, right? Yep. If you can package something in together, you're going, you're more likely going to sell it than you, if you fill one hole. If you're filling four or five different holes, you're hitting the community as well as the corporate portion of the, the job and the, um, the relationship portion of the employees, right? Yep. You, you try to build and build and build. And so that you're really um, making them a fabric of your organization or your organization has become a fabric of their company, right? Yep. That's what I think the key is. It's if I, if I were just trying to fill one hole, I probably would never accomplish uh, or sold what I needed to sell. Right. No, absolutely. After successful stints with both of the franchises, you're there with the Frisco Rough Riders and the Dallas Rattlers. You move into the role you're now in as the deputy commissioner of the rugby league and oversee rugby marketing and business operations. So what's a day-to-day look like for you? It's never the same. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it, it's pretty crazy um, in a great way. And it, it is a job that, that I'm very uh, happy having. 
um, and I, I enjoy joy very much. Um, I've got two big pieces to my job. It's the day-to-day operations of the league office and then the, um, the team relationships. So I'm meeting with every team every two weeks. I'm traveling to the teams. I'm working with them on their, their sales, on their marketing, on their in-game experience, uh, anything across the board. I'm helping them hire employees. Um, I'm help, helping them, you know, uh, shift their organizations around strategies. Right. Uh, it's, it's something I very much enjoy is working with the 13 teams we have. Um, and that always, you know, as far as uh, capacity takes a lot because you're, you're remembering and working with th- 13 different businesses. And then we've got our own business here and my own business here can look like working with the medical group on the COVID to the next call being about software to the next call being, um, about, um, competition issues. So everything is different. Probably the biggest challenge I have here is I have back to back to back calls that I'm switching <laughs> thought processes so quickly right. different that I'm audiences. never really able to follow up. Yeah. Um, I feel like, um, but to, opposed to if anyone hears me on this, I feel like I'm keeping up. They might tell you I'm not. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Right. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. the league currently has 14 teams. You're hoping to be around 20 over the next several years. What is the league's overall growth strategy? Um, it, it is, it is to be a major sport. So majorly our major broadcast, we, we had CBS and Fox last year. Um, we created our own um, OTT platform this past season. And we're growing on that and adding a fast channel to it. It is about getting out to the marketplace. And, and educating them on what our product is. It's not, um, that's, that's what the league is. The teams are going to take care of the regional side. Yep. So it's to continue to grow, have a better product on the field, have a better experience on the, um, in, the, in the building, and for the league to keep you know, touting what Major League Rugby is and getting people involved. And that kind of leads into a, a perfect next question is you, in sales and in this business, we talk a lot about storytelling. So what is your elevator pitch for Major League Rugby? That is a very tough question to ask. Um, you know, if, if I were going to try to give somebody a 15-second explanation on what Major League Rugby is and what we're trying to be, it's, it's not your parents' sport, is what I would tell them. That this is something unique and different and something that you can own. Come out, be a part of what we are today and be a part of the future. Absolutely. It's great. And we're certainly looking forward to the future of it. And you know, as you think about Major League Rugby and you think about your day to day, right, you, you said, you know, you've got this call and this call and it's all over the map, but also you're assisting teams all over the country as well. Yeah. So how and, and ultimately your advice, how do you help teams make an impact from afar and ultimately for your own end, how do you help prioritize? The, the best advice I can give anyone is just about how do you go about being good at anything you do is you get a really, really strong foundation. At the end of the day, you could do, um, you know, I talk to teams that want to do these very complicated campaigns to sell tickets, to sell sponsorship, this man, but they haven't gotten their base business in order. Do they have the right staffing, the right structure, the right um, strategies around it? Get, get your base in order, get your foundation. Once yeah, your foundation people in place, process for sure. Yeah. It's always more exciting to do something that isn't basic but basics, how you, how you start. And we all need to get there. I mean, like, you know, all 13 teams need to get there. I would say every, every organization you work at, they probably lost some of their, their foundation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great. And 
Bill, this is, has certainly been great. You've had a, a great career thus far, and, and I appreciate all the advice here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. As you look back, what would you say has been your best memory to date of being in this business? Oh, um, I've got a lot of, a lot of great memories. And uh, it's funny we're talking about this now because, you know, a lot of times we focus on the challenges of our career. But right. uh, if I look back at everything that I've been able to do because of my career, it's, you know, I'm very, very happy with, with everything. Um, and this isn't all about these masters. I know I wanted to be there one day. Yep. But I will say the, the probably the best moment I've ever had um, was I, I kind of mentioned that I met with the, the president of Houston Astros and I met with um, with the um, owner. They started doing some due diligence on me. They called the president of the Dodgers and she called me and said, hey, they just called you and they might be offering you a job. Yeah. I was like, OK. And she said they said they will call you on Tuesday. So like. Tuesday was the worst day of my life. I, just like, say, I, was, it, I was sitting there. It was like, if the phone is running rain, wild, I thought I was going to vomit. Like I remember walking uh, to the gas station for my, for my job. And I was just like, this is the longest walk ever. Like, when is it going to get worst day ever? Then my phone rings um, and Pam Gardner, she just, she offers me a job. And before I knew it, I walked to that same store like three times, just pacing. Um, when I, when my, my child, sorry, I'm going to go on tangent a little bit. When my child was born, I was very excited, but I was also nervous, like, okay, I got to do this. I can't mess this up. Yeah, now you're when I got married, I go, okay, this is great, but I can't, me- like, I got to provide and I got to be what, you know, what everybody thinks I need to be. When, when I got that call from Pam Gardner, there was no trepidation. Greatest day of my life. Like, I was just ready to go. I was dating my wife at the time and uh, we were living together. She was off uh, with her parents. I think like an Aspen or something and it wasn't getting good service. So I try to call her, try to call her and um, didn't get it. She came home a couple of days later. I had already packed all my stuff up and I was like, we're going to Houston. Like this is it. Here. And if she wasn't going, I probably would have maybe, you know, made some accommodations, but I was on my way and um, best day ever. Just getting off or getting that call from Pam Garden. That's awesome. And, and you know, the, the entire podcast, we started off by living the dream and, and that was a big part of your dream. And you're continuing to live the dream, you know, in this sports industry, which is a ton of uh, great industry, great people. And it's been great. T- such yeah. a great journey. I know a big mentor to many. And so to close it out, Bill, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seats. You ready for this? Yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> if you had to eat one meal for every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Cap's Apple, I'm sitting here in Texas because I love barbecue. Barbecue, there it and is. And I'm going to, as soon as we're done, I'm going over to Cadillac Barbecue to get some. I feel like that was a little bit of a softball question. Yeah, that was easy. Um, what's the last bucket list item you've completed? I was going to sound ridiculous, but I don't really have a bucket list. Like, I, I kind of just enjoy doing what I'm, I'm doing um, uh, on the weekends right now. Most of my, my time is spent just watching my kids play baseball. And I can't really, as much as I might yell at them for maybe not hustling as hard as they should, um, I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing than watching them just go out there and try. No, that's awesome. You have your own late night talk show. Who are you inviting as your first guest? Oh, yeah. Um, this tough because I should stay, say somebody like Nelson Mandela or Gandhi, which would be, be amazing, right? Because right, of the right. struggles and to right. understand how somebody like, either of those individuals push yeah. Um, because we're talking about sports. I, I would probably like, I'd love to sit down with Dana white because what he has done between what the UFC was 
20 years ago and what it is today. today. He's gone through every battle uh, from a sport that is absolutely taboo to being turned off of television, now having a massive, massive strong ESPN deal. Right. Um, he's gone through, you know, we, sometimes we think we're only as good as the players on the field. He, he's had talent that's come and gone over those years. There's always another superstar. I would love to just to hear his war stories and what he's learned through. All yeah, this. no, absolutely. Great innovator as well. So Bill, yeah. to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Uh, be authentic. Um, be selfless. Think, if, you, if you're not focused on yourself, good things will happen to you. Just, just be, being authentic, be selfless. And like we were talking earlier, take, take advantage of the opportunities in front of you. You, um, I lived in LA for a few years. I enjoyed living in LA. I got to meet some really interesting people. I learned from my experience outside of just the Dodgers. Yep. If you're, um, if you're somewhere, enjoy it. Yep. No, absolutely. Great advice. You know, being authentic, good things happen to good people, selfless. And, you know, even to your point of taking advantage of the opportunities, not only on the professional side, but when you're in those areas, immerse yourself in the community, in the marketplace. So this has been awesome, Bill. Thank you so much. You certainly had a great career. Always a pleasure talking to you. And I appreciate your time and expertise. Thank you. It's great. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.